Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Hello, welcome to the program. We have a great clip. It's from 1977, and it's about God revealing himself through his natural creation. I want you to see something in Psalm 121 that has to do with the inner eyes of a man's heart, the outward protection of a man's body, and the direction of a person's foot. In verse 1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. And he that keepeth thee shall not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber. And God adds another word in the Hebrew called sleep. He will neither slumber nor sleep because he's so busy keeping Israel and making sure that the believer's foot is not moved. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, and he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. The psalmist in this song of degrees expresses a beautiful portion to all of Christendom in this particular psalm. And I want you to picture the many, many people throughout the world in different corners that go out and lift up their eyes. And they lift up their eyes at night to the stars. Or someone is seated on a rock and they're looking up at the blue sky. Or someone is kneeling and looking at the sun as it sets in the morning. Or as it goes down at night. And as they look at the beautiful scene that God has created. And all of the natural beauty of his handiwork. In Psalm 19. This beautiful handiwork shows knowledge and utters its speech. That's what Psalm 19 says. Day unto day uttereth knowledge. And the beautiful creation of God begins to speak to the moral consciousness of man. Man is just lifting up his eyes. He may be a heathen in some far distant tribe, but he's lifting up his eyes. He does not know what he's 
looking for, but he knows there's something special about the stars. There's something special about the sun and the moon and the sky. And while he's looking at its natural beauty, he's really pondering over its creation and its order and how it works. And in the quietness of his human observation, the Holy Spirit, unknown to him, if he's a heathen, begins, begins to witness to his heart and begins to minister to his capacity for moral consciousness. And that man decides that what he sees, he should follow after. And then the Holy Spirit comes in when he doesn't have the word of God in Romans 2, 14 and 15 with the evidence of creation in Romans 1, 19 and 20 and begins to witness to his moral conscience of John 1, 9 the amazing evidence of a creator. The fact that he's now acknowledging the creator and not a false god doesn't save him. But the fact that he honors the spirit that is dealing with him with the evidence of creation begins to bring him into an acknowledgement of truth as truth is. This is the reason when a, a Canadian Bible school forced its students to put down on, a, on an exam, they had to say that all heathen went to hell or they couldn't graduate. Well, all heathen do go to hell. But everyone who lives in the heathen land isn't necessarily a heathen. Even though they've never heard the gospel, they've never heard the word of God, nobody has ever come. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except Jesus Christ in Acts 4.12. There is only one God, and that's God Almighty. And there is no other in Isaiah 45 and 44 in these two chapters. However, these individuals submit to the evidence of a creator by, in an awesome way, submitting to the spirit of creation. Creation is more of an evidence than of a designer. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, created as Jesus Christ did it in Colossians 1.16. But in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit moved through creation. And even as He moves, when these hearts begin to come to creation, because they don't have the Word nor the Gospel... The Spirit begins to reveal a faithful God that they don't know His name. And they do not know this faithful God's name. It's Jesus Christ. But they do know that He's the only God. I might not be able to know what they call water, but if I receive plenty of it, it'll keep me alive whether I know its name or not. And it is true that only water could save me, ultimately, or that that has water. Even if I didn't know its name, I would still be drinking the water. 
And so thousands of people do not know Jesus Christ's name. And they haven't had the privilege to have a body or the, or the word of God. And if they did, they would receive it. And God's foreknowledge knows that and judges them on the basis of foreknowledge in Isaiah 46.10. May I say tonight that Jesus Christ does not send all the heathen to hell. Contrary to pagan concepts in evangelical circles. By the same token, every man must be born again to be saved. But people being born again isn't up to my interpretation. It's up to God's hot beat of truth. And the Lord knows those that are His in 2 Timothy 2.19. And so it is just as vital to get out the gospel... And it's just as urgent to go into all the world. And this in no way produces a passive attitude because they desperately need to hear the word of what is happening in the isolated cases where they've submitted to the Spirit. But the Word of God says in Romans 2, 14 and 15 that when the Gentiles did that that was contained in the law, Yet they did not have the law. It became a law unto itself. And this is how that reads. When people obey what's in the Word, though they do not have the Word, it's the Word of God in itself. Only an isolated, narrow-minded prima donna that's living in the ecclesiastical system of a denominational concept that's alienated itself away from the revelation of a loving, glorious gospel would ever make such a statement that everybody's lost just because they don't have all the language of truth. That's an amazing, wicked, debaucherous attitude toward a glorious Christ. God has given a man a moral conscience. Then he's given man in Romans 1, 19 and 20, creation. And then he's given man the availability to a Holy Spirit when the church has failed to bring him the Word of God. And it doesn't decrease in any way their need for the Word of God to have the knowledge of truth so they can experience the variety of revelation. But God is still faithful to the subjective and voluntary mind as he breathes into the spirit of truth when the objective can't define what's happening but knows there's an amazing change that's taking place through a mystery. And more than one person in a heathen land has cried out, I never knew his name, but I sure knew that I wasn't going to bow down to other gods. In other names, I just said, Creator. And they wouldn't bow down to the stars, or to false prophets, or to gods of stone. Because their conscience had gone as far as it could go, until it heard the word of God.
I lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help. A teenager sitting on a rock that is sick and tired of drugs and doesn't want to go back on them, sits quietly in a little hill down in South Berwick. How long has she been with us? Three days. How long has she known Christ? Two days. What is she doing sitting on the rock? She's quietly listening to the still small voice as she sees the evidence of creation, the sign of a living God, outwardly. And her inward heart begins to listen to the Spirit. Doesn't know much yet. She knows she doesn't want any more drugs. No more fornication. It's all over. She's just as sure as anything that that's not going to happen again. Help keeps coming into her. I lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? Quietly, she's getting built up. She comes back to the chapel. And she said, Something beautiful happened. I lifted up mine eyes and I saw him. I saw his action. I saw his power. I saw his hand. And the Spirit of God says, let her talk. Because day unto day utters speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. And that's the beauty. There's not a night. And I don't believe there will be until God takes me home that I don't look at those scars before I go in when they're out. Look at the trees and look at the sky. I'm not just loving nature. I'm loving the Creator that holds them all together, that shows His handiwork. And that night unto night showeth knowledge. The knowledge that is amazing, that is a mystery. The knowledge of a power beyond man, beyond any carpenter, beyond any plumber, beyond any man as a skilled scientist. They never could do that. That's a, that shows a knowledge beyond my comprehension or beyond my humanity. And it, and it speaks. It doesn't speak that nature is the answer. It speaks that God is the answer. And nature is the evidence of his order, of his power, and of his awesome beauty, and of his majesty. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and wants like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com Amazing. Psalm 121, starting in verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. It is amazing. And we really are in awe of the natural creation. And there are some, Romans 1 talks about this, that substitute, they enter into idolatry and begin using false premises and false reasoning. They take creation and have it in a sense stand on its own and form philosophies and ideas around it.
And all of those things really bring them out of accountability to God for one thing. And in their own cleverness, they gain control over other people. And they can use their knowledge to justify their deeds, which are done in darkness and reproved by the light. And so they build a very careful construct to keep the light out, an intellectual one. But it is amazing that this exposure to natural creation really makes us accountable to the Creator. And the scriptures are are clear about that. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork in Psalm 19.1. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. Amazing, really, that creation, among other things, makes us accountable to a knowledge of God that all of us are accountable to that knowledge. But when we hear the word of God and then it's coupled with his natural creation, we we understand through a grace perspective of seeing the scriptures that God is not hanging over us, waiting to smite us with judgment because of our shortcomings. But instead, it's, it's actually the opposite. God is waiting to be gracious to us. God is initiating to us gently like we would initiate uh, to a stubborn child, really, in different ways that would create a capacity for response. And creation is one of those things. It's something that he's made and that it, it says in Genesis very clearly that each aspect of it that he's made, he sees it as good. And we are the, the crowning achievement of creation which he's breathed his own breath into and made in his own image and likeness. But there are some things that we, we can look at each aspect of creation, and if we delve in it, the deeper and deeper we go, the more marvelous we find out that uh, we've only scratched the surface of understanding things. Um, today, I just want to talk about bees, which are amazing creatures, really, and they're often used uh, to fly in the face of evolution, because of the incredible complexity and traits that bees possess that natural selection just would not be a feasible means for such a creature to come into existence. And we could say that about all of creation, but when we when you focus in, it's amazing. Uh, bees are used to pollinate a whole slew of crops. It's amazing. Um, some numbers say up to a third of the crops in the world are used. Bees pollinate. Bees have five eyes, two large ones, but three smaller ones that are clustered together in a triangle. And bees see green and blue, and one of the, the facets of their eyes sees many different colors, which really helps them with flowers and pollinization. But they also see into the ultraviolet spectrum, which is quite amazing. And many of the white flowers that actually reflect ultraviolet light in a different way than is visible to human beings with our eyes and the way our eyes work, they have this ability, which is tremendous. It's outstanding. And because of their ability to see ultraviolet light on cloudy days, uh, the sun is still visible to them. 
and they can navigate back to their hive. They can see movement at incredible speeds, up to five times faster by their ability to sense movements than human beings are. They're incredibly complex engineers. The building of a hive and, and um, the maintenance of it and the temperature control that's necessary is really incredible. The hexagon that's used that they produce honey in, mathematicians have looked at the structure and it is the most efficient structure really to store the honey so that there would be no waste, uh, the least amount of waste, and also the least amount of wax is necessary in order to make a comb using that structure. Bees are cold-blooded, but yet they can produce heat, and they produce heat in certain circumstances as a defense mechanism in the hive, and also the necessity of the reproduction in the hive means that the hive needs to stay within 92 to 93 degrees Fahrenheit most of the time. And bees are able to keep the hive cool by bringing in water and fanning that water. They cool the hive and they flex their wing muscles without moving their wings, even though they're cold-blooded, to produce heat um, and cluster themselves around to keep the temperature of the hive at a certain temperature. They also, if uh, an animal like a, a mouse or something that's too large for the bees to remove themselves falls into the hive and dies, they can quarantine off this dead animal so that it won't affect or infect the, the rest of the hive with disease. They, they're amazing creatures in the way that they communicate one with another. They look identical to one another. <laughs> Most of the bees in the hive other than being of a certain age and maturity, there, there's no physical difference between how they look. But they do carry certain scents. And if bees from another hive come into their hive, they can tell the difference, even though they look identical, by the scent that that bee has. Also, they communicate to each other about distance and about new food sources by doing a little dance. It's like a, a little wiggle that the other bees see and it communicates to those other bees where our food source is or how far away it, would, it, it is from the hive. Bees go out on these flights and many flights per day, um, harvesting unbelievable amounts of flowers and nectar um, and pollen in order to make the honey that they make. But before they go out, they do a test flight and they've looked at these hives and, and were able to track these bees and saw that they, they fly out a certain distance and then fly back to the hive. And it's, it's like a test flight before they go out for the day. Uh, really amazing. The older bees, between 15 to 20 days old, start to develop their poison glands. And these are the bees that defend the hive and the ones that can sting you. And they switch roles when they get older to become bees that defend the hive. Um, they can fly up to one or two miles in order to get a food source. They can fly farther than that, but often they prefer for it to be within two miles of the hive. And they fly 13 to 15 miles per hour. Now, from what I read, no other insect, or very few if there are any, actually produces food that humans can eat other than the honeybee. It, it is amazing. And bees are talked about in the Bible. In Exodus 3.8, God says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out 
of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. He he brought them, he promises them this bounty, that the, that the land would be filled with bees, <laughs> that would produce honey, that would, that would produce a food source. And not only food, but bees produce this amazing substance that the queen bee eats all the days of her life, which is, which is purported to have incredible health benefits for human beings. And beekeepers are some of the most long-lived, healthy people on the planet. God has created this little creature among many little creatures and big ones and, and the world around us. And it reflects his glory, his organization, his creativity, his amazing mind. And, and I think coupled with the manifestation of the grace of God, coupled with forgiveness and mercy, this truth begins to invade our consciousness. And when we're exposed to it before our salvation, it has a certain effect on us. But when we begin to have special revelation, which is revelation that comes from the scripture, all of these natural things begin to fall into place. We see the order and we see, and we're even more delighted in them because they speak of this invisible God. It makes him visible. His artistry makes him visible to us in, a, in its own unique way. Amazing, truly amazing what God has made. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. Well, you may have had great respect for nature, studied it, admired it. You may be a city person that doesn't get in contact with very much nature, uh, and your interest is in other things, but all of us have looked up and seen the stars. We've seen the sun. We've marveled at a big, huge moon on the horizon, and they utter speech, these things. They speak to us. It's God trying to get our attention. Has he gotten yours? Has the love that was represented by Jesus Christ dying on a cross gotten your attention? It was meant to. Uh, not only did it fulfill the justice of God, but it's so widely spoken of and amplified in the scriptures for a great reason. And it's because something very important happened that day. Your sins were paid for on the cross. Jesus, knowing you, seeing you from far away. <laughs> God, knowing you before you were in your mother's womb, had a desire that you would know him. And making you with a, with a fully active free will, free to choose, free to embrace him or deny him, wants you to embrace his son. Would you pray a prayer with me? Father, I... <clears throat> Father, I come today asking you would save me on the basis of what your son did, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Through it, I begin to get glimmers of hope and I begin to see all the things that you've made, how lovingly you've made them. And I want to be clean. I want to be washed. I want to be a member of your royal family so that I can fully appreciate what you've done and know you and that we can have fellowship together. 
I pray, come into my life, cleanse me, make me yours. I ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.